0: month of absolute madness has unfortunately ended on last Sunday. It was kind of final that every football fan or non-football fan dreams of watching. Cheers to Italy for winning the title after so many difficulties, hardships and sacrifices. Roberto Mancini, the real culprit behind the redevelopment of the Azzurri. Chiellini, Bonucci, Donnaroma, Jorginho, Spinazzola, Chiesa, actually the entire Italian group of on-field contributors and off-field as well had equal amount of efforts that went into bringing the title to their home. On the other hand, the newborn England has made their ancestors more proud than anyone but their own fans. Unfortunately, Garrett Southgate did everything he could after being criticised so much from all the football journalists and pundits, Sterling, Kane, Maguire, Stones, Pickford, Shaw, Declan Rice, everyone really deserves all kind of appreciation and love that they have already received. But it wasn't the same for Sancho, Saka and Rashford after the tournament. So, it was clearly and arguably one of the best Euros that the modern fans have witnessed since 2012 and it is going to be better and better in the upcoming years. Hello and welcome back to Football Gone Rogue. And if you are new to the podcast, thank you for joining in and I hope you get along with everything that we talk about over here. It's been one hell of a ride for every spectator out there. None of us were recovered from the following last season's Champions League where Chelsea won it against Man City and then we were directly introduced to this European Cup. So it's finally time to review the last match of the Euros and move on towards the upcoming domestic leagues and its transfer windows. So let's go. Okay, so it is the last chapter of this Euro 2020, which was England versus Italy and I swear I won't waste much of your time because it's already too late for the review. But hang on with me on this and I'll really appreciate that. Moving on, let's see the formations and lineups of the both teams. I know most of us were happy seeing Italy lift the title as their favourite team and that's because most of us couldn't stand the English fans at all and I completely agree to that fact even though uh, being an England supporter. So, talking about the lineup and the formation, I felt, you know, Gareth Southgate would go for Saka on the right in a 4-2-3-1 combination and add a few good names and surprise us all. But, you know, instead he went for a defensive back-five formation, which was also expected from him, bringing Trippier in as a wing-back and Mason Mount as a number 10 on the paper. But uh, played mostly on the right wing behind Harry Kane. So that, you know, he could allow Shaw to make those overlap runs every other time that he could get the chance to do it. And Italy, on the other side, you know, went with the winning combination from the semi-finals against Spain. Their main man was Pinazzola, who was out due to injury in the quarter-final stage. So it was time for Chelsea's third left-back Emerson to step up and show his value to the team. And really, he did, uh, because he had a great inclusion in this team right from the start that he was added. Apart from everything that they had perfect, the only thing that you know was not going well for the team was their striker Immobile, who hasn't been good after the group stages. And I assumed Mancini will you know let him rest and play Insignia as a false nine, and let Bernadeschi come in from that right side and shifting Chiesa on the left, which eventually happened in the second half. But should have let him start you know to pull some pressure against Maguire and Stones from the beginning. But it was the three Lions in the white threads who started off with serious, serious pressure and that brings us towards the first goal of the final, which was a brilliant move. Uh, Started with Luke Shaw and ended with him on a counter. I really did not expect uh, England to score that early and get straight into the game with this kind of speed because, to be honest, we all have seen them struggle in the first 10 minutes of the game throughout the tournament, you know, to find the rhythm of the match. Luke Shaw, on the other hand, Uh, for me has been the best left back in the tournament after Spinazzola because the kind of energy he has brought into this game you know since the last season is what we all expected to see as he was selected ahead of Ben Chilvin uh, in every other match As we mentioned that was the only time that England were looking dangerous because after that they were really numb and couldn't do much Italy were quite good on and off the ball, Jorginho you know uh, looked like they picked up an injury but managed to stay on the field Till the end to go on and miss in penalty uh, Veratti was quite good holding Mount and Sterling at times In the first half, they were really poor to be honest And didn't look like a threat in, as it was quite boring to see all the attacks go in vain when Immobile couldn't create any chances for them But the second half was a much much better time to see Italy dominate like some lunatics who would do in a fist fight Keza is such a natural winger, like every time he got the ball, everyone were there on their feet and saw some spark as he started to dribble around Maguire and Shaw and not to mention about the midfield trio who were the real winners of the match in the second half they absolutely uh, holded the ball much better than the England ones and we could see the trio pattern every time they played the ball in the attacking 3rd-4th and that was one of the reasons you know, that Italy had more shots on target and they created more chances than England Because, you know, England were quite dependent on the right flank after the goal Like Kyle Walker had the ball and he demanded it from uh, Maguire and Stones every other time that he didn't have it uh, To carry it up till Trippier or Kane when Rice was dropping and created most false nine spaces from Kane And, you know, Calvin Phillips would roam around in both the halves to recover and play the wide passes as usual And that was one of the most boring attributes to see from the England side that we have been seeing throughout the tournament Because you know, Italy almost completed 800 passes compared to England's 350 Which tells us about the summary of the match Like looking at the stats, people might think that Italy would be like Man City playing against some bottom half team If they had missed the match But it wasn't like that, even though Italy had a lot of shots on the goal they only managed to put 6 shots on the target, which is still more than England's 2 shots on goal And not only attacking-wise, but defensive-wise, Italy were good enough You know, recovering the ball in the blank spaces from England's forwards and midfielders With 25 tackles in the whole match, like that's a big thing In the matter, in that matter, I can just think of Jorginho who put enough tackles to win free kicks against him And created a lot of problems for Rice and Phillips in that match there have been so many goals in the late second halves and speaking of which let's talk about comeback goals this might be one of the most important goals in italy's football history uh, cause uh, coming from you know playing no major tournament to winning the euro cup is not a simple matter to think about and keeping the attack pushing minute after minute is really one of the major attractions of this italian side Yes, England didn't concede any goal in the whole tournament from an open play, but they sure didn't want to concede this one from a corner, because it was more than obvious. Kileni and Bonucci will go after the ball like mad dogs, and certainly they did, which kept them in the match. But through, uh, but throughout, you know, throughout the month, they have been so dangerous with Incey clipping in those screamer goals, and midfielders like Locatelli and Pessina joining in for their contributions. With Immobile playing exactly opposite to what he played in the final is definitely one of the things that other teams are going to note down for the upcoming World Cup for sure Yeah and things like this led to England making mistakes in the substitutions as we saw Henderson was brought in for Rice, I really don't know why Cause he was putting his 100% and Grealish also on the other hand did well But again could not do much like he did against Germany And then it all comes down to Gareth Southgate who really fucked up the situation by bringing in Sancho, Rashford and Saka in the end minutes. Like the only problem in that was it could have been a little early or really early so that you know those boys could have got the chance to play the ball. Get the feel of it and you know try to adapt the pressure because it was visible from their looks that they were really nervous coming on. And to play in front of 60,000 fans, you know, knowing that you have been brought in just to shoot the penalty and kick the ball in the goal when thousands of people are watching you right behind from the goal is a different kind of pressure that none of us can really think of In the extra time, both teams did as much as they could but couldn't finish it in time and I guess many of us thought that England might win this one because it's obviously the home stadium and the advantage of playing at home is second to none for the penalties, I had a clear lineup and I thought even Southgate will have this one in his mind, but he went completely on a different road. Uh, like, for example, I had Harry Kane, uh, Raheem Sterling, Kyle Walker, Ka- Calvin Phillips, and Marcus Rashford as the first five penalty takers, and that was because these players, except Rashford, had the experience of the entire match and the tournament. They kicked the ball more times than any other player in the match. the England squad and they were confident with the looks on their faces to go up for it Grealish was also a great candidate for it but for it I am not saying Sancho and Saka aren't but you know they were so cold in the match that they did not even had a proper touch since they came on and to hit the ball with so much pressure around you is not the thing I would have advised if I was there for them And as we have mentioned the word pressure so many times in this pod From the start, you know, the English fans were the ones who couldn't help their team to put pressure on the Italian side. As I have an experience of how they are with the other teams when it comes to club level matches, this time it was not that great for the team in the Wembley Stadium. I do not want to blame the fans or the spectators for the performance of the players because the players are the ones, you know, who have the right to control their shot, you know, their emotions, their mentality, and everything that they have to do in the match or before coming in the match. And if they have missed the shot, you know, the penalties, regardless of their ages, yes, they need to be criticized, but in a proper manner, in a proper way that we all know what it is. But by the looks of the recent events, you know, that have happened and still happening after the match are really horrible to see. The sick people of England, you know, they have destroyed their social media accounts, the players' social media accounts, with so many hate and abuses, you know, which is so shameful from a fan's perspective. Like, we live in India and our national team is nowhere near the English side for at least 10 years from now. But we don't, you know, but we don't go to their Instagram and their Twitter accounts and start writing hatred things in their DMs and their comments just to make them feel low and tell them that how much we hate them. We won't do that for sure. As the UK Prime Minister now, in the recent uh, interview and all that, you know, he has already declared that the owners of Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter have been told to navigate the source of these accounts to stop this racial abuse henceforth that, and I hope this is going to stop at a point And that's not it man, like the sick English fans stood out of the Italian supporters stand you know waiting for them and as they came out celebrating uh, you know these cunt kind of motherfuckers you know, started hitting each and every one of them they didn't spare the women and the kids and all I could notice out from it that was Uh, The old people, you know, they started the fights and they were the ones behind this racial abuse uh, that are done to these young players Uh, I guess they might be teaching such things to their kids and their grandkids because out of all, I guess more than 50% old people were there who started these things and I guess this is really unreal and people in the UK should look out for this And in the end, you know, city centres of London, Leicester, Manchester, Bristol, Liverpool and other ones were destroyed by the public after the match ended in Italy's favour All I want to say is that you know this really needs to stop at a point where it gets vulgar It's really destroying the sport and people in general should start appreciating these kids and the other players as well For taking the team up to a position where nobody thought that they could reach And in spite of so much criticism that they got, their manager got, their management staff got you know, They kept their calm and focused on their goals and worked for it You know, if this doesn't make a nation proud, I really don't know what will So let's move on to another segment of the show and let's talk about the overall Euros and what were my personal favourites So the first one is the most disappointing team Uh, For me, I guess it's going to be Belgium and France, you know, who were the most disappointing ones out of all But uh, to be honest, you know, France was on the number spot Uh, Sorry, on the number one spot for me because they had the best side on paper, and I'm not saying only because you know they are the recent world champions and all that, but they really had players who were in great shape, and you know they carried a good form in their uh, in their respective clubs. In the end, you know they did start pretty shallow in the group stage, but they did have a great chance, uh, you know, to win against Switzerland, but they did bottle it, uh, which was not expected with the likes of benzema mbappe pogba and griezmann you know who were killing it on the attacks against switzerland but somewhere inside we know you know didier deschamps was nervous about losing than than winning and that's the reason why the france football federation you know are looking to end this journey as a coach and manager and trying to bring on zidane for his replacement and now the favorite one which is the goal of the tournament the euros have decided theirs and i guess my mind has already decided that it is patrick Schick against scotland because a goal from from the half line is every footballer's dream and very few have achieved it but to be uh, but to be very honest you know my heart says that a goal you know to score a goal when a keeper is in his post it is much more satisfying you know like the one i'm talking about over here is kristensen of denmark you know scoring against russia in the group stage like it was an absolute banger he came running and you know he just hit the rolling ball with full swing And the keeper just like us you know couldn't do nothing but just notice it going in And the atmosphere over there man In Copenhagen was unbelievable which really makes that goal number one for me So the third one is people's favourite not mine to be honest but it's okay It is the player of the tournament award For me you know I disagree with Donnarumma getting the award as he conceded more often than Jordan Pickford did So I really don't like it And keeping that apart, you know, Pickford could have got it anyway, and he deserved it more than Donnarumma. My wild choice, you know, for this one would be the Dutch right back Dumfries. You know, he had a great part, he played so well. You know, he was everywhere on the field. Or Ronaldo, you know, he was a top scorer and had impact in every other game. Or Jorginho, in that sense, you know, he played much better than any other midfielders that I can think of. Or maybe, you know, Patrick Schick, as he is also one kind of top scorer. He also has the same amount of goals, but Ronaldo, you know, he got one assist, so he became the top scorer. And I really want to put some spotlight on Pedri, man. Like, yes, he did get the young player of the tournament, but this wasn't too far for him. And I guess in the next coming games or any other tournaments, you know, he's going to shine more brighter than this one. Like, these all players in general had a major impact on their teams, like none of the individuals had. And I really hope that they will fight for it in the upcoming Qatar World Cup as well. So let's talk about you know the team to watch out for the 2022 World Cup. For me I guess the number 1 is France because they are bringing in Zidane which will you know benefit them in every other way. Uh, Portugal on number 2, you know they are going to be one of the favorites because they would be also looking for a good manager you know to polish the stars that they already have. Uh, recent champions Italy, you know they already have the potential and the kind of things that they are already doing is a great side for them and the recent runner-up England who also have great potential and have a great lineup, and they still have another season to work on it so they will find new players to bring in Uh, and then you know speaking from the Copa America's result and point of view Argentina has always been a favourite in every other World Cup and every other competition and we can't forget about Brazil because they too have a great young side with a very brave coach and like every other competition, you know, uh, there is going to be an underdog underdog story Like South Africa in 2010, Croatia in 2018 and Denmark in the re- recent Euros So let's hope we get to see a cracker of a tournament with great show and atmosphere That being said, you know, new managers and young players are the two things to watch out in the modern game And in the upcoming World Cup as well Because the game is changing and demanding more fluidity And these things are going to be... You know, uh, considered just because the young guns are stepping up, and we would like to see new things happening. So the fifth and the last part is the favorite moment of the Euros. I guess there's nothing that can defeat the Belgium team initiating the applause for Christian Eriksen, who got an unfortunate cardiac arrest in the middle of the play. Uh, Lukaku, who wanted it to happen, you know, so that the whole world acknowledges, you know, the fact that Eriksen is not the only one in this. And we are with him and his family till the end, no matter what. Also, the moment where Finland uh, fans shouting his name in the stadium after the incident was such a delightful scene to watch. Like I have mentioned it before, but this is one of the most beautiful part of the game where it, where it brings us closer, no matter where we come from or what color are we, and keeps us together, loving the sport. You know, sometimes we don't even care about who we support, Messi or Ronaldo, Barca or Madrid. In moments like these, you know, all we care about is the unity of fans and the safety of the players Even if we don't like him at all And this is what makes this sport so 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 special And now ladies and gentlemen, it's time for my favourite part of the show Where we are going to look into what's happening between the clubs and their management system So let's begin our last segment of the show, the Football Transfer News So the first one that we got over here is that Liverpool is interested in Portugal's Renato Sanchez and they are already uh, in the move. They are already making uh, you know, contacts with his agents and already trying to put on some prize on him. So, like we have already seen it numerous times that this lad is dominating the midfield. You know, he's pocketing all the big players when he's out there as we have seen in the Euros and the last match against Belgium. It was quite obvious that people are going to look for him and a club like Liverpool will obviously look for him because they are in need of that. And this move, uh, move could, you know, really benefit Liverpool's, uh, Liverpool's midfield as they have sent wynaldon to PSG. So, that attacking midfield slot looks so perfect for him. And with the likes of Thiago on his parallel side, parallel side will be a great match. And for people like me who love to see Liverpool play, will enjoy every bit of it. But in the end, it might create some problems for Henderson and for in the CDM role. But to have a competition in a particular uh, in a particular role is a win-win situation for every club. And a club for, uh, like Liverpool is going to benefit them in the long run. So the second one of the day is Manchester United interested in Giovanni Di Lorenzo of Italy as a right back option See at the start of the Euros we, we saw United making calls for Trippier which was quite a great move to be honest Because they need a better ball playing right back which Van Bisaka is clearly not But if you are getting Lorenzo instead of Trippier I don't think so there's a loss in it uh, Because for them you know you're getting a Euro winning right back and his game could be more influential than Trippier on Van Bissaka. And further ahead, you know, Sancho will always dominate the right wing if he is guided properly. So I guess United should bid for him if the stakes go a- higher. And I guess it will also benefit them in the long run. Number three is Arsenal want James Madison from Leicester and have started to put a bid on him. So I have always loved Madison's hairstyle and game, and he is a great number ten on his best day. So if Arteta, you know, really wants him to fill the shoes of Odegaard, uh, then I think it's not a bad choice. But you know, for Madison, you know, he should be aware of the fact that Leicester is more of a positional-wise attacking team, you know, and Arsenal is a counter attacking team, and to fit in Arsenal system will be a big challenge for him. But if he really wants to get a spot in that England's lineup. Or if he is targeting the World Cup squad He should do it or else he needs to make sure that He starts every other match for Brendan Rodgers And is included in almost every other goal that they score So the last transfer for the day is Oliver Giroud has gone to AC Milan And Chelsea are looking for Haaland so, so we knew this was coming sooner or later But it had to happen right after the Champions League Chelsea were going to You know, be this confident about getting the Premier League back and if they want to do it uh, or if they want to get Haaland or Kane, you know, it will be a very decisive choice because they already have Timo Werner over there and when he had, you know, a competition against Oliver Giroud, of course, Timo Werner was going to come up from it and to challenge him, you know, Pulisic can play as a number 9 now and Havertz or ZH can target that right-wing role. So it's going to be a good summer for thomas tuchel and staff you know to manage them well in order if this transfer takes place and then you know they can't eye nothing less than a premier league title to create a legendary side and they have the potential to do it so next season you know whenever chelsea plays city or liverpool or united or tottenham we won't be predicting uh, predicting the win for the other side because it's going to be a tough race you know right from the start and all i can see is chelsea you know winning every half of it And it's time to take your leave if you have enjoyed listening to us keep supporting and thank you so very much for joining in and I hope to see you all again in another episode as well